Why do we remember bad news more than good news? Is the question that I will answer by the end of this show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The More You Know Mondays. The more you know, the more you grow. And this week on the show, I will be talking about Sylvester Stallone. But before I get into that, I just thought I would say Happy New Year. And uh, if you are new here, (laughs) didn't even mean that to rhyme. But if you are new here, uh welcome uh every week i talk about random interesting facts and i look deeper into them sometimes it's about people sometimes it's about events in history but it's always something new to learn about maybe it's new maybe it's not but you know i just think more people should know about it and if you are a returning listener thank you for coming back um if you haven't already uh, i dropped on new year's eve 2020 i released uh mental gymnastics which is uh, an episode of my opinion means nothing and it's the best of 2020 episodes where you can kind of get a feel from the kind of the the guests I managed to interview before the world went to what we are in right now but that aside let's start on with you know what we like to start with every week which is Monday affirmations it's just you know start with some positive vibes so it's better to ease in with the start of your week So this week, like with all weeks, we have a quote and this quote is by Robert Greene and it goes like this, in general, obstacles force your mind to focus and find ways around them. They heighten your mental powers and should be welcomed. Now, I absolutely love this quote because it's so true and i feel like it's very fitting with everything that's happening right now with us being in lockdown and the pandemic it we're in a a position which we can see as an obstacle because it's not natural or normal to what we uh are used to as the normal for us so we see as an obstacle but at the same time if you see within this obstacle it's interesting to see how people are adapting to the obstacle and finding like there's still ways of they can get their stuff out there or they can still make money or even though there's other companies or businesses that are not able to still be functioning during this pandemic and there are some people who aren't able to function but it's just how you deal with the situation and what you do with 
I guess, the powers that you have at B and how you creatively craft the whole through the crazy, really, I guess. <laughs> Obstacles, when they come, when you uh, are faced by an obstacle, like call it like a, a brick wall, and you can't get over this brick wall because it's, um, I don't know, six feet tall and you're only four foot two. This is just an example. <laughs> and you're looking up at this wall and you're like, well, man, how am I going to get over this? Like, you've tried jumping and trying to grab onto the wall, but you haven't got, like, the upper body strength to pull yourself up. So you're thinking, well, how on earth am I going to get over this wall? Because I need to get to the other side. I need... This wall is in my way. It's an obstacle. <laughs> and the only way to really get past it would be to maybe find a ladder. Because... And the thing about the ladder is, the ladder is outside of the box, outside of your box of thinking, outside of your box of, uh, I guess, your focused vision at that time. Because your focused vision of that time is at the brick wall and the fact that you can't get over it. Instead of thinking, well, if I got myself a ladder, then I'll be able to climb up the ladder and get over the wall. It's just all about how you mentally... Uh, I want to call it mental gymnastics because that's exactly what it is. Like when you get faced by a problem, you, you automatically think that, well, how can I solve this problem? How can I do this? So it's all about being aware of what the problem is and thinking what the possible solutions could be. But then also speak to other people. Because other people's perceptions and uh, perspectives on things won't also won't always be so similar to yours. So it's interesting. I find it very interesting, anyway, to speak to other people and find out their perspective on things. Because then it kind of formulates and fine tunes your ideas. Because you're like, well, I didn't really think about it like that, you know. And then you. If you actually think, if you actually, when you actually, when you say that, I didn't think about it like that, instead of it just being a thing like, okay, cool, I didn't think about it like that, and then just dismiss it, actually think about it like that. Because then you've actually taken on board the other person's thought and put yourself in that situation with that kind of, with that new, uh, what can I call it? Idea. <laughs> that new idea of how you can see this and mentally how it could be possible with this new vision. But then you got to think, well, that's their point of view. And it's not my point of view, but you can take parts of something and recontextualize it with your own visions and make something new. Something outside the box, something that maybe you wouldn't have done in a million years, maybe. But it's a cool idea and you tried it and it worked. It's all about trying things and seeing what works. And I will leave that there. So my positive affirmations for this Monday will be 
to always try things and think outside of the box because a lot of the time inside of your box is a safe space so you would only think about what's safe for you instead of thinking about what might be right for you if that makes sense i hope it does anyway so with that being said we will start the episode and talk about sylvester salone now i'm really inspired by sylvester salone as a creative personally only because he is someone who basically created his own history created his homes created his own story in a sense and i mean that in the way of a lot of people don't know this or well, maybe people do but the all i think there's six or five rocky films he wrote every single one of those films and he also co-wrote rambo uh, i think only one and two and five or one two three and five he wrote he co-wrote rambo and loads of other films that we'll get into but yeah he's a very inspiring man for me so let's start in the beginning Sylvester Stallone is his stage name, but his full name is Michael Sylvester Gardenzo Stallone, and he was born in Hell's Kitchen, which is in the na- which is a neighborhood of Manhattan in New York City. Or I, th- I think I got that right. And he was born on July the 6th, 1946. And he is the eldest son to Francisco Frank Stallone Sr., who was a hairdresser and beautician, and Jacqueline Jackie Stallone, who was an astrologer, dancer, and promoter of women's wrestling. So Sylvester Stallone's father um, was from Italy, uh, and he was born in Gio del Colli. I probably said that or pronounced that incorrectly. So do not slay me. I butchered it. <laughs> if you know how to say it correctly, please correct me. <laughs> and so he moves from Italy to the US in the 1930s while um, his mother um, was American but of French descent. And interestingly, Sylvester Stallone also has a younger brother who's also in the performing arts industry and he's an actor and musician and he goes by and goes by the name his name is Frank Stallone now I find this really interesting this part about um Sylvester Stallone like he has that signature like look and it looks like one side of his face is kind of numb but through my research I've I've actually found out that the fact of his face um, being kind of paralyzed on the left side was due to complications that he su- that he suffered or his mother suffered during uh, labor while giving birth to Sylvester Stallone. Um, unfortunately, there were forceps that were misused and accidentally this served as causing some nerve um, and paralyzing on parts of Stallone's face. As a result, 
the left, the lower left side of his face is paralyzed, including parts of his lip, tongue, and chin, which coincides with kind of that, I guess, his signature kind of snarl and look and his slurred speech, which kind of everyone thinks that it's from like some boxing accident or something, but it actually, it was part of, it's part of him, you know? And I, another reason why it's kind of inspiring to me, because he has this, what might, some people might call an imperfection, but it is part of him and he owns it so well that so what you know like he owns it and that's what you need to do like you need to own your own your shit i'm sorry i'm swearing in this episode but that's the only way i could put it into context own your shit that's what you need to do and then no one can really have power against you if you own it because whatever they say you can just agree with them all right cool yeah that's what you think yeah cool cool um and at the end of the day like the only way people when people tease you and they try and all they're trying to do is get power over you so if they say something to you and they see that it affects you then they've won so the way not to let it affect you is kind of i guess own it but obviously this doesn't work in all (laughs) all situations how i'm now thinking about some things that you can be called um but just if it was just a physical imperfection i mean like what sylvester stallone does he owned it and he made something of himself and he built it into his characters by playing Rocky, but we'll get onto that in a bit. <laughs> so, Sylvester Stallone's father and the fam and moved the family to Washington D.C. in the early 1950s, and he actually opened a beauty school. And his mother, in 1954, opened a women's gym called. Barbellas, which kind of gets you to think of like what inspirations he had around him while he was growing up. Um, he went to many schools. <laughs> um, the only noteworthy one that I'm going to name for this um, breakdown of Sylvester Stallone is when he went to the University of Miami in 1967 uh, sorry from 1967 to 1969 and where he was studying uh, a drama major which is kind of where it breaches onto his creative ventures so what's also interesting because his full name is Michael Sylvester uh, Gardenzio Stallone until uh, from until 1969 he was appearing under the name mike stallone because that's his first name so he was that was his for uh, his um stage name before so but since but when it got to 1970 he started 
a different name. He decided to go by the stage name Sylvester E. Stallone. And the E part is pretty clever because it's kind of his Gardenzio broken in half without the Garden or the Gar. Without the Gard, it's just Enzio. So he's just broken that part of his name off, which is pretty cool. Um, the more you know, you know. So, his first starring role was actually in a softcore pornography <laughs> feature film, which was titled The Party at Kitty and Studs. <laughs> Kitty and Studs. Um, and this film came out in 1970. He was paid 200 US dollars for two days' work. Um, and it said that Sylvester Stallone has later explained that he did this first film, this pornography stuff called porn, out of desperation because he was being he was being evicted from his apartment at the time, and he found himself homeless for a couple of days. So he was said he said that he was sleeping. Um, he had slept for three weeks in the Port Authority bus station in New York. Oh, I know where that is. Um, see, prior to seeing the casting for um, the party at Kitty and Suds and Studs, sorry. So he thought to himself when he saw it, he was like, it was like either he goes to that casting or he robs someone. And it's a good thing he chose to go for that casting because he got the role and he made that money so that he could survive on a little bit longer. But I think that's kind of really interesting, you know, especially being a performer and for any other performers out there, it's, it shows you the hunger and drive that he had for his, uh, for his art and, and how much belief he had in himself that, you know what? I may be living on the streets right now, but I have a dream and this obstacle may not be a part of my plan, but now there's this um, door that could possibly open in the form of uh, the casting. And what do I do with this? What choice do I make at this point? Do I stay safe and stay homeless? Or do I take the chance and go for the casting and see what happens? And funnily enough, what happened was a couple of years later when this film was actually released, they changed the name to, to um, Italian Stallion in order to cash in on Sylvester Stallone's newfound fame. Um, and Stallone also starred in the erotic off-Broadway stage play, Score, uh, which ran for 23 performances at Martin Qui Theatre. Probably didn't say that correctly, but I butcher a lot of things. <laughs> if you know the correct pronouncement, correct me. <laughs> um, which ran from October 28th to November the 15th. 1971. Interestingly enough, um, the play score was later made into a film 
which came out in 1974, which also goes by the same name as Score. And the most interesting thing that I found out about the film Score was that it was one of the first films to explore bisexual relationships. So that's kind of interesting. Although it was a kind of off-Broadway erotic play, so... There is that at the same time. (laughs) Anyway, uh, fast forward some time and Sylvester Stallone, he moves to New York City. And he's sharing a flat with his girlfriend at the time who supported them by working as an um, a waitress, actress. She was also an aspiring actress herself, but she was working as a waitress um, and... Sylvester Stallone also took some odd jobs around that time where he was a cleaner at a zoo. He worked at a movie theatre as an usher, but then he was fired uh, for scalping tickets, which, if you don't know what that means, is basically like uh, selling tickets underneath the table at maybe a higher or lower price, just not at the movie (laughs) theatre. And, yeah, he also, in that time, he furthered his writing skills by frequently going to lo- to his local library, where he became really interested in the works of Edgar Allan Poe, who, if you don't know about, you should really check out. I should actually check out more of his stuff, because he is best known... Um, for his poetry and short stories. He is widely regarded regarded as as a central figure for romanticism in USA. And the literature as whole, and literature as a whole. Um, He is like generally considered he is generally considered the inventor of the of the detective fiction genre and further credited with contributing to the emerging genre of science fiction um which is really really cool but i don't want to go too deep into him because i want to do another episode on him <laughs> so but yeah just knowing that part about it just makes you understand more why Sylvester Stallone might have found him interesting and how studying his works helped improve his writing skills. So by 1972, after having um, basically two erotic films underneath his belt, Sylvester Stallone was basically on the verge of giving up acting altogether. Um, it is later described that this is kind of his lowest point where he had tried and failed to get a job as an extra in The Godfather. Um, he was relegated to a background role in the Hollywood hit, which, uh, what's, sorry, witches, What's Up Doc, which starred Barbara Streisand. Though the most savage part about it is that he may have been paid for it, but you can hardly 
n- even see him visibly in both of those two experiences or in his two appearances in that film what's up doc you hardly even notice him there so he was about to give up hope he he was at the end of his tether as you as they call it as they say even around that time when he was deciding to give up everything a friend of his invited him to partake in a a play that he was putting on and and an agent was in attendance while the play was taking while he was performing in the play the agent thought that stallone would fit a role of stanley which was a main character in the lord of the flatbush um which had a stop start schedule because of um budgeting issues from 1972 to 1974 so he basically achieved his first proper starring role because he his friend asked him to partake in a play he chose to do so and there just so happened to be an agent in the in the audience that saw him and thought you would look good in this film and hooked it up and made it happen <laughs> and his journey had started i'm going to fast forward over a couple of things because in between this time between 1972 and uh, 1975 1976 he went through i guess a, a small spiral of going in and out of background roles where he played um, roles like a, a subway thug or a youth <laughs> um but then he also starred in other films such a um where he um starred um in films like Capone and Death Race 2000 he also made guest appearances in uh, TV Police Story and Kojak and apparently he was in Mandingo but his scene was supposedly deleted or, or not supposedly it was deleted because it wasn't in the film so I'm going to move on to where he gained most of his worldwide fame, which is what most people know him for, which is his smash hit film series, Rocky, which came out in 1976, uh, which is about, which is a small, sorry, which is a sport drama about a struggling boxer named Rocky Balboa. Um, who takes on the heavyweight champion Apollo Creed. So, on March the 24th, 1975, Stallone saw Muhammad Ali versus Chuck Wepner. And he saw that fight, and that fight, after seeing that fight that night, he went home. And after three days and 20 hours straight, he had written the script for Rocky, the first Rocky film. Like, let's fathom that. My man was so inspired by watching the Muhammad Ali versus Chuck Wepner fight from watching that film that he went home and three days and 20 hours straight 
he spent on this script and he banged it out and he had Rocky. Another interesting fact is, although we have the film um, Creed, the original character of Creed was created by Sylvester Stallone when he created the first Rocky. So, it although Creed was, I think, uh, written and directed by someone else, um, it wasn't until Creed 2 when Sylvester Stallone co-wrote on that one. Um, so, um, I've said um a couple times, but forget it. So, Sylvester Stallone, he denied the fact that um, Chuck Wepner had anything to do with his inspiration for writing Rocky. And <laughs> because of this, Chuck Wepner filed a lawsuit against um, Sylvester Stallone which was eventually settled for an undisclosed amount, which either means it was really high number or it was just, like, you know, something they could, they agreed on. <laughs> but I'm going to probably go with a really high number because when it says undisclosed amount, <laughs> that's what you usually think about. So, Sylvester Stallone, after writing this, he attempted to sell the script to multiple studios with the intention of playing the lead himself. But, unfortunately, he was denied by multiple studios. And then he was approached by Erwin Rinkler and Robert Chartoff, who became interested in the script and offered... Stallone $350,000 for the rights but they had their own ideas for casting ideas for the lead role um, who included Robert Redford or Burnt Reynolds which would have made Rocky a completely different film <laughs> but despite that um, Sylvester Stallone stuck to his guns and said no I'm not in. I, I want to play the lead. And off, eventually, after some substantial budget cuts to compromise, it was agreed he could play the lead. And which kind of create, which makes history after that. And it was, it was said that around the time when it, when the film was released, a critic, Robert Edber, stated that Stallone could become the next Marlon Brando. And he is another person who I will do an episode on. But for anyone that doesn't know who he is, I will just give you this brief insight of Marlon Brando. His, um, his career in, as an actor, span over 60 years. From 1924 to 2004 so yeah just put that into perspective <laughs> but we'll do another episode on him but Sylvester Stallone still wrote directed and played the lead in Rocky he got what he wanted he got the he got to create the vision that he saw for his his script 
he didn't settle for the paycheck. He didn't see the money and think, well, rah, $350,000, that is a lot of money. And just sell these guys the rights and they just made the film however they saw fit. He wanted to be a part of that journey, so he stuck to it. And I'm sure, like, if these, if Erwin and, um, what is their name? Sorry. Erwin Winkler and Robert Chartoff, if they didn't agree to let Sylvester Stallone be the lead, I'm pretty sure he would have just been like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll find someone who is willing to let me be the lead in my play, in my, my film. And then I will make it happen the way I want it to happen. In 1977, at the 49th Academy Awards, Rocky was nominated for 10 awards, which included Best Actor and Best Original Screenplay, um, nominate, which was a nomination for Sylvester Stallone himself. The film went on to win the Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Directing and Best Film Editing. So this film that was inspired by a boxing match and and he stuck to his guns to make it happen and make it be made and seen the way he wanted it to be seen, which is what led to his, well, sorry, which led to Sylvester Stallone making his directorial debut and starring in the 1978 film Paradise Alley, which was a film, uh, another, which was an American sports drama, which was again written, directed, and starred Sylvester Stallone. Um, in this feature film where he made his directorial debut, the film tells the story of three brothers in Hell's Kitchen, New York, in the 1940s who became involved in professional wrestling. Um, I have never seen this, but it sounds interesting, so I might check this out after recording this episode, actually. So, following this film, he also starred in another film that year, um, which was called Fist, F-I-S-T, which is a social drama in which he played a warehouse worker, uh, which was very loosely modelling James Hoffer, who became involved in the Labour Union leadership. So... In 1979, he wrote, directed, and starred in Rocky II. And I think this is very interesting, this point, because when he wrote Rocky II and he starred in it, he actually directed this one, which replaced um, John G. Addison, Addison, um, who was the director that won the Academy Award for directing his first film. Regardless of who directed it, the second... Sorry, not regardless of who directed it. Um, I just mean that in the sense of 
when Sylvester Stallone took over directing the second Rocky, this film also became an even, even bigger success. It grossed $200 million. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Um, so after Rocky, um, he became very popular for another well-known action hero, let's call him, which we know as John Rambo, where he starred in the fir- in the action film First Blood. Very famous, dope film. Which came out in... 1982 sorry and this film was both a critical and box office success and the most interesting thing i find about this uh, about rambo is that critics uh, praised sylvester stallone for his performance with john rambo because they say they said that he made rambo seem human as opposed to the the way how John Rambo was portrayed in the book of the same name, which is very interesting. It, it takes quite an actor to make you see the human sides of a character in the sense of he had to understand the character of John Rambo so much to be able to portray his flaws or the way how he may have seemed in the book. I've never read the book of Rambo, but but I'm just speaking from an actor's point of view. So he, he must have really embodied the character so much so that he was able to make you see the human side of his actions which is amazing just as an actor i i can only just look up to that because that's crazy Uh, but i've seen it in rambo he does do that anyway this launched the rambo franchise and later that year 1982 rocky 3 was released which was also written directed and starred Sylvester Stallone. The third sequel was again. Oh, sorry. The third sequel became a box office box office success. Even though I I can say that in my opinion, Rocky Two again grossing two hundred million. That sounds like a box office box office success again. But hey ho, what do I know? <laughs> in preparation for these roles. Sylvester Stallone embarked on vigor on a vigorous training regiment, which often meant six days of work, uh, six days a week in the gym, and further sits uh, further sit ups in the evening. So he claimed to have reduced his body fat percentage to his all time low of two point eight percent for Rocky 3 
Um, I don't know much about body fat percentages, but that does sound like a very low percentage. Um, I'll look up this <laughs> more deeper again after the show. So, <laughs> in 1983, he directed Staying Alive, which was the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, which starred John Travolta, which a lot of people don't know is like the breakout hit for John Travolta. Um, this was the only film that Sylvester Stallone directed but he didn't star in which is interesting I would I, I don't think I have seen uh, Staying Alive actually or maybe I have um, but it was universally panned by film critics panned despite being uh, panned as a failure oh savage that means so despite being critically critically failure um oh sorry that makes more sense despite being critically um criticized as a failure by film critics staying alive was a commercial success which is the main thing that's that's all you can really hope for the film was open were the film opened with the biggest weekend for musical films ever at that time with a gross of is this 12 million <laughs> i think this number is 12 million 12 million one that one hundred and forty six thousand one hundred and forty three whoa wow <laughs> 12 million um although rocky did 200 million but anyway anything million is a big number guys i haven't got a million someone might have a million out there if you're listening to this podcast and you have a million well done man (laughs) that's all i can say um, but overall, the film grossed nearly $65 million um, at the US box office against its $21 million budget. I mean, that's dope. It, it, made, it made a... It was in the green. <laughs> if it was a budget of $22 million and it made... It grossed 20, uh, sorry, 20, $65 million, then they made a profit. Which is all you can hope for when making a film, because films do cost a lot of money. So you, you do want to make your the money back on your return. But worldwide, the film Staying Alive grossed a hundred and twenty-seven million dollars. Like we need to think that, or think, uh, remember rather that during the nineteen eighties. Sylvester Stallone was one of the biggest action film stars in the world. So in 1985, uh, he continued his success with Rocky and Rambo f- franchise with Rocky 1 4 1V one uh 1V which is 4 before 5, yeah. 4 and 
Rambo 2, Rambo First Blood Part 2. It's also an interesting point, or interesting fact, I think, that Sylvester Stallone has portrayed these two characters by meaning Rocky and Rambo in a total of 11 films. Now, that is crazy. He, one of the characters he's created, um, and he's been able to play hit the char- one of the characters that he's created for about eleven times, or maybe half that. So let's call it like six, five. Well, there's six Rocky films. Yeah, <laughs> exactly six. <laughs> In 1977, and I, I know I realise now that I'm going backwards in time because we, we got to the 80s. <laughs> but anyway, in 1977, for the first Rocky, Sylvester Stallone became the third man in history to receive two nominations for Best Actor and Best Screenplay. Um, the only other people to in history to have ever been or who have ever received these two awards are Charlie Chaplin and Orson Welles. Wow. <laughs> That's history right there. Like the other mentioned directors, they um, wrote and took the leading role in the film, which is cool and interesting. Um, Sylvester Stallone is also known for his reoccurring roles in Rocky Bal as sorry as Rocky Balboa and John Rambo, and also Barney Ross, um, who was the character he played in The Expendables. Um, Sylvester Stallone wrote and starred in all six of the Rocky films, like we were talking about just a moment ago while taking the task of directing in four of the sequels. Um, Sylvester Stallone also starred and co-wroted... Co-wroted? <laughs> co-wrote the first three and the fifth instalment of the Rambo franchise. And interestingly, he also directed the fourth Rambo film. So he co-wrote and starred in the fourth Rambo as well as directing it which is really interesting because I didn't even know all this about the I knew little bits and pieces but I didn't know like he co-wrote all of these things which makes his his catalogue like kind of more interesting so he also wrote and took the lead in the first installment of the expendable films um he directed and starred and wrote in paradise alley um john travolta starred in staying staying alive which was a sequel to saturday night live uh, sorry saturday night fever which stallone wrote and directed oh i did not know that well, that's interesting stallone also wrote and starred in Cobra and Driven and he also co-wrote and starred in Fist. Uh, Rhinestone, 
over the top cliffhanger and Creed 2. These are all like big like credits. I think that was the word I was looking for before. <laughs> Not catalog, but credits. These are great credits, and it's really interesting to me that he not only was in these films, but he also was involved in the writing and the directing in some of these projects that he was involved in, which kind of adds this extra level of his uh, importance to the film or to to the production, rather. But, yeah... Like I said, he is an amazing man that has spun his career, I guess, since we're in 2020 now. Like, it's 2020? 2021. <laughs> but I guess it's only one year, so it's easy to make that mistake. And we're only, like, what, five days into the new year, so... <laughs> Who knows? Like, pretty much, you know still 2020 but we're not we're in a new year happy new one (laughs) but yeah his career has spun maybe about 50 years so far and i'm sure he still has more years in him because i was looking on like the expendables there's a there's like two more or three more expendable films that are in the pipelines so i'm sure he will either be starring in or directing or co-writing or even just writing these films so he'll be involved in this this uh it's just really inspiring to find out about the journey that he's taken where he's literally gone from nothing to something very very inspiring But we have got to the end of the show and I have to answer the question that I posed at the beginning of the show, which was, why do we remember bad news more than good news? And the reason is because of this interesting thing that we all funnily have, funnily enough have, which is called the negativity bias and you you might find this weird or maybe more interesting i found it interesting to find out about every human has a negativity bias it's built into it it's some sort of uh what can you call it like an 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 an, uh, an adapted evolutionary function that has been passed on to us from our ancestors other human ancestors which is an adaptive evolutionary function from thousands of years ago where our ancestors were exposed to immediate immediate environmental threats that were no longer needed that we no longer need to worry about such as like predators or i don't know acid rain or volcanoes erupting um on a regular basis maybe and 
being more attentive to the, these negative stimuli plays a useful role in survival. So these negative biases are, well, they back for our ancestors, I assume, they help them avoid potential harmful situations by them um, having the absence or by them kind of being very weary of bad things. They are able to protect themselves and their flock or their families from bad things possibly happening to themselves or happening to them or their family. And if you think about this, like really deeply how I thought about it, it explains a lot, this negativity bias. It's it's seen everywhere, like in the news on how they um, how they pose the news or how they they pose things out to be more dangerous, maybe than they are. And which makes you remember them more because we have a negativity bias. So we're, we're always like remember bad situations over good situations. And listening to this, you might be thinking, I don't have that. And I thought that in the beginning, I, I maybe have a lesser version of this negativity bias, but I definitely have a negativity bias, unfortunately. It's like if you think about, for example, they, they did a study in 2016 uh, for the Nielsen Norman group, um, which um, studied kind of the negativity bias on uh, this example. So you've checked into a nice hotel for the evening. Uh, when you enter the bathroom, there's a large spider in the sink. Uh, what do you think you're going to remember more vividly in your memory? The fact of your hotel being like, like finely finished and luxurious, or the fact that there was a spider in your sink? So the study that they did in 2016, the results came back that stated that more people would remember the spider incident more clearly than the fact of the room being nice. So obviously, like with most things, it negativity, negative experiences tend to affect people um, more than positive ones. And this again was... Uh, looked at in a 2010 article which was published by the University of California, um, the Berkeley quotes psychologist Rick Hansen states that the mind is like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive ones. So you might think, why do people have a negativity bias? Um, and I guess it's kind of, like I said, kind of at the start of this is it's based on or built into our brains based on millions of years of evolution when it comes to dealing with threats. So our ancestors lived in a different time to we live in this comfortable time <laughs> we live in now. And they had to 
go out there in the wild and gather food while also avoiding deadly obstacles and predators. So for them, noticing and reacting to and remembering predators and natural hazards, which was negative, became more important than finding food, which was the positive. So with that kind of aspect in your head, you kind of understand why we have this negativity bias. But I think understanding it and being aware of it is the first step of being able to overcome it. Um, Because it's kind of that thing where, like, you'll remember that time when you lost... 20 pounds more than that time when you found or you won 20 pounds <laughs> and while humans may not need to constantly be worrying on high alert about our survival anymore like our ancestors did neg- the negativity bias can still affect how we act, react, feel, and think. So like I said, being aware of it helps you combat it because you, you're able to think about it on a deeper level and address it or address yourself and fix it if you can. But anyway, that's that. And I will call that the very end of the first episode of 2021 so i hope you've enjoyed the more you know mondays and i hope you are having a wonderful start to your week thank you for listening all the way through if you got to this point uh, and enjoy the rest of your week and we will be back next week with another installment I was going to say slice, but then I had installment coming out of my mouth (laughs) with another installment or slice of the more you know Mondays. And with that, I'll call it the end. Bye. Have a wonderful week.